finally I get to preach on something I'm an expert in. This is perfect for me. Um, so we're uh, in a series called Bridges, looking at the way that God, through his son Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, connects us to God, and then also at how that serves as a connecting point um, for our own relationships uh, with each other. And so today we're going to take a look at uh, you know, what happens when we drive off the bridge and um, we create havoc and chaos and damage in the lives of people around us. And uh, I've chosen for the purpose of this exploration a rather, um, I suppose, in some ways, unlikely psalm, and and here's why. At, At this point in King David's life, when he writes this, he's not, he's not dealing directly with the results of his own sin and the devastation that he has caused. Um, But at the same time, he speaks directly to uh, where we need to be in our relationship with God when we blow it. And so, you know, there are probably other psalms that David has written later in his life after he's totally driven off the bridge. Uh, that might be better entry points, but I wanted to go to this one, um, and you'll see why about you know, the second point in the sermon today uh, sort of points us towards uh, what God wants for us in, in preparation for these times that we bring about on ourselves and others. Um, so we're going to read from Psalm 32, and then we're going to go back and just kind of look at this as a, as a model for understanding how we approach others in the wake of our own sin. So from Psalm 32, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with the bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. 
So a psalm like this causes me to pause and ask questions like, you know, what what are my besetting sins? What what is it about me that that causes pain and, and devastation or just hurt in other people's lives? And as a you know, I, I think we all become acutely aware of these aspects of ourselves when we're in relationship with others. That's where this stuff comes out. That's where it happens. That's where it hurts. And, you know, I can think of myself uh, in, as a husband and the, the insensitivities that, that I live with in relation to my wife. I can think about this as a father in terms of, um, you know, the, the effect that I have on my kids for better or for worse, right? Um, and I can think about this as a pastor in terms of um, the, the ways in which my own shortcomings both sort of show up in the life of the church as well as hurt and disappoint others in the course of, of doing life together uh, as a church. Um, you know, how do I want to say this? Um, I guess I'll just say it this way. It can be overwhelming when we really sit down and think about ourselves in relation to what we do to other people who we care about and who care about us. And you know, as I reflect on um, how that shows up in life and in ministry and in the course of being connected to other people, uh, I'm humbled, I guess. Um, you know, some of you, uh, some of you know too painfully well some of my tendencies, right? And I'll just, I'll throw one out there, and I'll just, maybe, may help, may not. Um, if you are three feet in front of me, and we are talking about something serious, something legitimate, something pastoral, um, I'm your guy. I can, I can feel your pain, I can connect with you, I can listen, um, Unless I'm married to you, uh, that's a little bit different. We're not going to go there right now. Uh, but I can be present in your, whatever it is you're going through. It doesn't bother me. I, I, don't, it, I don't dread it. I, I, it's, it's totally fine. I can be right there. When we get up and leave that room, okay, I'm, I'm kind of the, oh, something shiny guy. Right? And, and my attention goes over there, and I might not follow up. I might, but I might not. 
I might totally space. I might leave you wondering, does he even care, right? And then if we ever manage to get back to that three-foot space again, we're good. Because you realize, no, it's not that he doesn't care, it's just that he's an airhead, right? And he does care, and this is, this is meaningful, this is helpful, this is good. Um, but I think what I, what I want to sort of put in front of you is it, it doesn't matter what the what is. It's that each of us in our connections with each other will, will leave each other lacking, um, hurting, um, wondering. Are they there? Do they care? What was that? Did that just happen? Um, and most of us, when something goes awry, we just assume the best, right? That was sarcasm, in case you were wondering. Another one of my pastoral gifts, by the way. Um, no, we, we generally, when, when that person uh, disappoints us, we, we go to whatever the worst-case scenario probably is, right? Um, and somewhere in the course of our lives, somebody broke the little glass cover off of the panic button, right? And it's just right there, and we bump it too soon. Um, but let's, let's go back to, you know, what do we do when we have blown it, when our humanity has, has interfered with a relationship to the point that someone is hurt, someone is... Um, wondering someone is uh, damaged because we've driven off the bridge. And I want to use, you know, I I want you to think about King David for a minute. At at this point in his life, he's fairly young, um, and he's, he's literally running for his life. He has been anointed as king as a kid, and now the current king, who knows he's going to be the next king, feels very threatened by him. And so he's kind of doing a lot of hiding. Hiding is his job right now. He's really good at it. And in the process, he's spending a lot of time alone. And in that anguish, in that time, he writes these words, which later in his life, no one will need to hear more than him. So it's almost like he he writes a message to his future self. And we get to see kind of what God wants for us as he prepares us for the inevitable, that we will hurt others, that we will blow it, that we will drive off the bridge. Um, So let's just move through the psalm sort of one piece at a time and we're going to start with this call to get it out in the open. That is, whatever whatever the sin is, whatever the, the problem is to face it, bring it out into the light and where God can deal with it. And we, we talked about this with the kids a little bit. What is the tendency when we blow it? Blame on somebody else, make an excuse, cover it up, pretend like it didn't happen, 
right? Do our best to make sure that the spotlight doesn't land on ugly me and reveal who I really am, okay? And so David says, just get it out in the open. Um, The most important thing in all of this is that we get right with God. Even though I've blown it with, with you, my first job is to sit down with God and say, okay, can we, can we get this straightened out here? Here's, here's what's going on. In my, as honest as I can be about it, here's what I've done, or here's what I've not done. And here it is. And set it before him and begin this step of making things right with God. David reminds us that we are to be totally reliant on God for forgiveness. That's where it counts the most. Um, He tells us or reminds us that we're to sort of engage actively in in bearing ourselves to God. We're to put it all out there on the table and not hold anything back. And in this call to be totally reliant on him, we are also to be totally honest with him and with others. This, this little phrase, I love it at the end of verse 2, um, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Which means when I sin against you, I need to acknowledge what I've done or not done. I need to be honest with you. I need to tell you so that you hear clearly from me, I screwed up. Um, So David sort of starts there. And as we get right with God, as as we become brutally honest with him about ourselves, it makes it much easier for us to face each other and say, this is the real me, welcome to it. Um, I'm sorry, uh, but let's, I'm just going to be honest. And, and here it is. This is what I did. This is who I am. Um, this call to get everything out in the open, to get right with God, and David reminds us that, that sin works a lot like cancer. And I don't use that analogy lightly, okay? Um, you know, cancer is made of our own cells. It's not some disease that comes from some other uh, infection. It, it comes from ourselves. It's, it's our own cells, and they get into this... Um, hyper-growth mode, and they begin consuming the things that our healthy cells need in order to survive, and it spreads. So, David says sin works pretty much the same way. It comes from in here. My sin is not something that Steve did to me. My sin comes from right here. And so if we're gonna if we're gonna fight this cancer, well, let me first start with this. I actually heard a doctor say this on the radio today. I mean, this week. Um, the number one reason that people are suffering from cancer, and do you know what it is? 
not the number one cause of cancer. It's the number one reason that people are dying of cancer. Anyone? Denial. Because here's, here's what happens. We, 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 we might think or know somehow something's not right. I don't feel good. Uh, I, have a, I have a friend, a girl I grew up with, who had uh, breast cancer. And she had had, I don't know, like five or six kids. And she'd had, over the course of her maternal years, uh, several clogged milk ducts. Right? Just happens. No big deal. Uh, so here she is, you know, seven or eight years postpartum of her youngest. And she just tells herself, well, it's a clogged milk duct. No big deal. You know, just keeps plowing through her busy life. Well, at the point she finally goes to the doctor, and she'll admit this to you right now if she wanted to, if she was here, uh, she's got stage four breast cancer. Um, by some miracle of God's grace, she beat it, or God beat it, or you know, however you want to parse that out. She's doing great. That's, that's the good news. Um, but just flat-out denial, like, ah, you know, I'll deal with it later kind of thing. And we do the same thing with our sin. It's not a big deal. It's just a clogged duct or whatever. It's normal. It's not a problem or whatever. And we just go on in denial of what's really in front of us. David says, don't let sin do what cancer does. Cancer deteriorates our bodies and replicates itself. And sin will deteriorate our souls and replicate itself. And here's, here's what I mean by that. And we talked about this with the kids a little bit. Um, when I was in seminary, I had a professor who used to say, sin, sin begets sin. And I'd be like, what? What are you talking about? And then he'd, he'd do like the cookie analogy. It wasn't actually the cookie analogy, but the same thing we did with the kids. You do something that you know you're not supposed to do. What's your first tendency? Cover it up. Lie. That's a sin. So one sin begs or invites the next one. And then you've got to keep layering these things on top of each other, and suddenly you're living under an enormous weight, a burden, a strain. It's killing you. And the more, the more that you layer on top of any particular sin, the harder it is to face it. Because we, we all have a shame factor built into the fabric of our being. And so if I just commit one sin one time on one day and fess up, I'm not living under a pile of dirty blankets or wet blankets. I've just dealt with one thing at a time. If I sin and then cover that up and then cover that up and then cover that up, I'm living under an enormous burden, and it's harder to throw it off and be free. So David reminds us that sin is like a cancer, that it wants to deteriorate our health, our spiritual health, and replicate itself in our lives. Um, We tend to hide. And David says, bring it out into the light. Give it to God. 
And we are to take a healthy dose of confession. Confession, and I don't mean going to a confessional, I just mean fessing up, breaks the cycle. It breaks the cycle. When our sins are exposed, we can't hide anymore. We have to face the reality of what's going on. And so David says, the first step is to get right with God. That will help us get right with everybody else. And we're fighting cancer. We have to end the denial, stop the cycle by confessing the truth. And so, as Shrek would say, better out than in. Right? Thank you. All right. Um, we have to get it out in the open, whatever the it is. Because that's where God does his work, in the light, where it can be seen. Um, we have to get it out in the open. And then David sort of backs up and gives us a reminder that we are to get ahead of the game. We're to get ahead of the game in terms of our sin. That is, you know, these verses 6 through 9, he's saying, here's what we ought to do. Here's the, the healthy diet for all of us to prevent this decline. Um... To get ahead of the game, we're to open the lines of communication between our soul and our creator. To get into the habit of talking to God before things get hectic. That we are connected to him so that when we do blow it, going to God is not a foreign language to us. It's natural. It's native. It's part of who we are. And so... David says, open the lines, get in the habit before it gets hectic, and soak in God's goodness as much as you can while you can. Because when the, when the floods of life come sweeping you away, you're not in a good position to soak in the goodness. Um, you're holding on for dear life. That's a very different posture before God. Uh, not one that you won't assume at one point or another but while things are not blowing up, we are to be connecting with our Creator. We're to be uh, cultivating our relationship with God. We're to open the lines, and we're to be an open book. God says that He wants us to be open before Him, to be honest with Him about who we are. Um, and so, there, in verse 8 of this passage, if you're looking at it, um, it, it gets a little weird. I don't know if you noticed this when we were read, reading through it, but the, the voice, either the voice changes or the object changes, okay? And so some people read verse 8 as God suddenly speaking into the psalm through David. And, and, and if you read it that way, then God says in the midst of the psalm, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And it sounds like a, it sounds like a divine eye, doesn't it? That his eye will be upon us and, and he will guide us and counsel us. Um, 
if you go back to the beginning of this psalm, in the note prior to verse 1, in any Bible you've got, it says this psalm is a maskil of David, M-A-S-K-I-L. That means that it's instructional, that David is not uh, talking about um, just perhaps the righteousness or faithfulness of God. He's actually giving us some kind of instruction. So this psalm is based on David's human experience that's common to all of us. And at this point in the psalm, uh, many commentators believe David is turning to us and saying, I can tell you this from experience. I, I am an example of what I am talking about. And I can, I can help you understand what I'm talking about because I've been through it. And so in that sense, David is saying that we are to be an open book for others to read from, to learn from, to benefit from. As other people who we are connected with see us going through our lives in a way that is connected to God, even when we blow it, and they see repentance and humility and grace on our part, uh, they can learn from that. And they can say, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like when we screw up. Um, She was honest. She was open. She was uh, not hiding or running from the truth. Um, And so David says we're to be an open book for others to read and for God to lead. As God guides us through our missteps, um, we're to be open to his instruction, his care, his guidance in all that we do. And so it's important to get our sin, our failures, out into the open. And it's important when things are not upside down, to get into uh, the routine, the habit, the practice of being connected to God. And also, David goes on to remind us that we are to stick with this all the way through the cycle. Um, You know, just that point of confession is not where That's where the cycle of of sin begetting sin stops. But it's where this process of redemption begins. Or reconciliation is probably a better word. And so I'm going to just jump over to a verse that I printed there for you in 2 Corinthians. Um, And the Apostle Paul says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are to be reconciled to God. And then other people can can relate to us. And understand better what that means for themselves. Um, Paul goes on to say. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us. The message of reconciliation. We have a message to convey to the people. That we are connected to that we understand how to confess our sins, how to access redemption and forgiveness and grace, and that that can be uh, part of what helps other people figure it out. 
So we're to go all the way through the cycle, not just to the point of confession, but all the way to the point of reconciliation, redemption, uh, and wholeness. And so David reminds us that we are to return to God's love after we blow it. This is really hard to do because another one of our tendencies, you know, our first tendency is to hide and then when, um, when the truth is, is made known, our tendency then is to continue to beat the ever-living tar out of ourselves until we die. Am I wrong? I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that again. Tom, you're an idiot. You ever said anything like that to yourself? Yeah. Yeah, we, we, you said, Tom, you're an idiot. But I, I meant to you, to Dan. If you said, Dan, you're an idiot. Yeah, sorry. I gotta be real. Gotta be real clear with you. Um, yeah, that was not a point to say amen. By the way, that's, that's you missed it. That's not what I was, that's not where I was going. Um, but we tend to be brutal on ourselves. And here's here's the there's a there's a place for that, right? There's a place for just sort of total disappointment. But that's not where we're supposed to live. We're not supposed to take up residence and build a lean-to shack and squat there, right? Um, that's not where God wants us. And so if we're to go all the way through this cycle, David points to the end, and he says there's joy that, that is yours in Christ because he has forgiven you of your sins. He's overcome your failures. And where he is going with this reconciliation is all the way to the point of this return to God's love. We're to leave the misery of our selfishness and learn to trust again. And this is difficult because it's not just God that I have to learn to trust. It's, it's me and or the person who has sinned against me. It's, it's, I have to learn to trust God at work in me. Okay. We all have trust issues. Okay? All of us, every single one of us have trust issues and so David throws this word in here like a mean little boomerang or something okay like wait a minute did he just say steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord many are the sorrows of the wicked we have to leave the misery of our own selfishness but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. And that's trusting God in and of ourselves. You remember where he said just, just prior to that, you, you don't want to be like the horse or the mule that have to be sort of jerked by the bridle or the bit uh, in order to go where God wants you to go. We are to be a people of the heart. In other words, we're not supposed to walk through life with the rule book going, I, I, I've got to do this and I can't do that. 
we're to be a people for whom the word of God is written on our hearts. And what is right and good and holy comes naturally from who we are. We, we don't have a God who's, who's you know, yanking on the bit and the bridle to control us. He wants to take it off and say, be free. But in your freedom, what I really want for you is for your heart to take you to that place that I would have taken you anyway. I want you to be free, but I want you and your freedom to learn to trust my leading in your heart to take you where you should be. And that, my friends, is a tricky, dangerous kind of trust. Do I trust God enough to trust myself? Honestly, I probably don't. Um, But that's where I need to get if we're going to go all the way through this cycle. It's the rebuilding of trust that is part of the restoration of our relationship with God. We're to return to his love, and we're to allow ourselves to enjoy him again. Yes, we've blown it, and we've come clean, we've been honest, we've faced up to our responsibility, and we've gotten it out into the light. And we turn away from our wickedness and turn to rebuild the trust in relationship with God to where our hearts are are becoming alive again. But it doesn't end until our hearts are renewed and our joy is restored. Because God doesn't want us living in the lean-to shack in the flood zone. He wants to lift our heads and restore our relationship with Him, our trust in Him, our life in Him, to where we look up and instead of shame and guilt and condemnation, we feel joy, the joy of forgiveness, the joy of God's love, the joy of God's presence, the joy of knowing He can still love me even after all that I've done. And when we find that joy again after we lose it, it's never sweeter. It's never better. It's the completion of that cycle. And then the people whom we have hurt, they're part of that journey with us. And that restoration of joy and life and good should be shared. It should be contagious. It should be part of what it means to be connected to each other in Christ. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we confess that we blow it. That we hold on to our sin and we cover and hide and run. And so, Lord, we need you to bring all of us out into the light of your love. And we thank you that when we step out into that place, that you are gracious and kind and forgiving. And that you lift our heads out of our shame and remind us of your love. 
And that miracle above all miracles, you can even restore joy to our hearts. Lord, we thank you for this redemption that is ours in Christ, for the way that you minister it to us time and time again, as you remind us of how much you love us and how your light and your grace are ever before us. Lift our heads and lead us to live in the light of your joy. In your son's name we pray, amen.